You're a swimmer, a cyclist, a runner. You're a triathlete. You're a conqueror of the multi-sport mentality. You seek greatness in your everyday life. But as an age grouper, your forte is the physical fitness that you strive for. Endurance is your middle name. You're listening to the Age Grouper for Life podcast, the ultimate source for living the triathlon lifestyle. Colin and Elliot will discuss the most optimal training techniques to get you where you want to be mentally and physically so you're ready to bring it. You can do it. Ready to bring it? Welcoming your host, Peak Triathlon and USAT certified coaches, Colin Cook and Elliot Kawaoka. What's going on, everybody? This is Colin with. Hey, everyone, it's Elliot. And this is episode 48 of the Age Group for Life podcast, where we are happy to have Eric Anderson with us. Eric, that's good. <laughs> What's life going on? Is, life is good, man. Austin, Texas is beautiful as always. And yeah, sun is shining. Can't complain. Perfect. So, why don't you give us just your 30 second uh, bio here? All right. Well, Hey, y'all. My name is Eric Anderson. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Munster, Indiana, just outside of Chicago. Um, been doing triathlon since 2006. Um, about two years ago, I opened up a float spa here in Austin, Texas, where we have float tanks, infrared saunas, and ice baths. So those are sort of my three favorite wellness modalities. And Hopefully, this season will be the uh, first proper full triathlon season where I can really uh, take advantage of living above that beautiful biohacking facility and, and really uh... oh, Eric, we lost you there for a second, I think. I'm, I'm still here. We, we good? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, where, where, where in the rent did it get cut off? Ah, <laughs> uh, you were saying, uh, living above your, your studio. Yes. So hopefully this will be the year where I can really take full advantage of it and actually have some races this year. Uh, last year was, you know, lost due to COVID unfortunately, but, uh, I'm pretty optimistic about where things are headed this year. Yeah. Cool. And so, and how old are you? I am 30. 30. Feels really right. weird to say out loud, but I, I am 30. <laughs> but. To, to be 30 years old and say you're racing back in 2006, uh, you got a pretty young start for a lot of people in, in triathlon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, first, first Ironman was 2009. So it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. Cool. And how many do you have under your belt? 10. 10. Cool. Very nice. And did you, what about like athletically growing up? Did you have any kind of background or sports you played growing up? Yeah, I was the most mediocre runner and swimmer of all time. Like <laughs> just quintessential JV, middle of the pack. I think my, my high school 5K PR was like a 1910 or something. Um, and then I got to college and got really into cycling. And that was when everything really started to click. Yeah, exactly. So pretty strong. I mean, but uh, I think uh, probably a lot of our listeners would be envious of a uh, middle of the pack or JV-esque uh, swim skill set. <laughs> yeah, my, my swim skill set is certainly not 
<laughs> not very good, but well, the best part about Ironman is it only takes up 10% of the race. So, you know, you get to get on your bike and pass everybody, which is always yeah. my favorite part. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, and you've, how long have you been in Austin? I moved here May of 2017, the two and a half years prior to that, I was fully nomadic. I didn't spend more than seven consecutive days in the same city. So, uh, had quite a run there as a digital nomad, which was a lot of fun. That's incredible. Uh, it's, uh, very cool. All right. And, uh, you have Ironman Coeur d'Alene as we were joking just before we hopped on. Uh, it seems like everybody we've been interviewing lately is doing Ironman Coeur d'Alene, but, uh, you excited for that one? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's been on the bucket list since I first learned about Ironman pretty much. So I'm super stoked that they've brought it back. Still gutted that we didn't get to do St. George last year, but, uh, looking forward to doing that one next year. Yeah. Well, unfortunately you and Elliot won't be in the same age group, so you can root for each other. That's good. That's amazing. So you just went, you just jumped an age group, right? You just turned 30. So you're in the 30, 34. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how, you know, like having raced in the 18 to 24 age group, you think you have all the time in the world and like, Oh yeah, like I'll be, I'll be good. Like I'll definitely get Dakota at some point. And then, uh, 2015, I was still 24, but I had aged up and I did Ironman Taiwan and would have won the 18 to 24 age group. But because I had aged up, I got fifth. And then it was like, Oh damn it. Like these guys are way faster. And then that whole time in the 25 to 29 age group, it's like, Oh, I've got plenty of time. Like, I'll, I'll get this done. And sure enough. Nope. Didn't get that done either. Now you start looking at the, you know, the 30 to 34 times and it's like, wow, these guys just keep getting faster. And, and that just doesn't stop until I think you turn 45. So. Yeah. Uh, even there these days now, these guys uh, <laughs> are getting pretty fast. It's uh it's pretty impressive across the, and the, and the ladies for sure. Absolutely. Uh, but so, right. So still, still searching for that first ticket to Kona. That's it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, also, uh, you, you did something, uh, I would say pretty wild, uh, recently here. What did you, uh, what did you do here, uh, with your run? Yeah. So on the, I don't know why my headphones keep dropping out here. Sorry about that. Uh, on the solstice, my buddy challenged me to, uh, an event called the longest night where we ran from sunset to sunrise around a, you know, quintessential quarter mile high school track. So, um, I didn't really have like a, a goal in mind until I started running and then hundred K sort of became the, uh, carrot at the end of the, the very, the, the very dark tunnel. Um, and I, I, I managed to pull that off and ran 100.8 kilometers in about 14 hours. So, uh, certainly the longest, most painful night of my life around a very not high tech, uh, running track. I think my tendonitis is finally, uh, here three, four, three, four weeks later, uh, gone, which is great. Wow. Yeah, that was, uh, I was, I was long overdue for a stupid feat of human endurance. So (laughs) glad to have checked that one off the list. So you don't, you don't want to do that again. My motivation, the last like five, six hours was literally just get this done. So you absolutely never, ever, ever have to do this again. (laughs) Like any, any ultra runners out there, I have so much newfound respect for you. (laughs) It was, it was so painful. 
so wow. painful. But uh, now I have that feather in my hat and yeah, no, no desire to do that again anytime soon. Gotcha. How long did you prep for it or kind of have the idea um, or plan for it, I should say? I mean, this is, it sounds like one of these, like, you know, you're, you're drunk at a bar and your buddy challenges you to do something and you say yes to it. Cause like, that's about as much effort as I put into it. I really uh, have not been training much at all. My, my total running volume last year was 800 kilometers and you know, a hundred of those were in one night. So um, I had run maybe two or three times in the buildup to that event, but um, I sauna every day and walk a decent amount and had been casually kind of casually um, riding my bike here and there, but it was, I mean, that you, I don't think you can really prepare your body to go through that. It's more mental than anything. Um, and having a regular float practice and meditating and, uh, you know, using the sauna as my cardio basically has, has been working really well. So, um, that, that was the prep and we got it done. Nice. And so what, uh, how long did your, or how far did your buddy get? I think he did about 60 K. Okay, cool. Yeah. The, uh, the original pitch for the event was like, oh, there's going to be hundreds of people all around the world and we're all going to be doing this together. But uh, unsurprisingly, there weren't as many enthusiastic people. There were, uh, there were two guys in the UK that did about 120K. They had, uh, I think, 17 hours of darkness. Wow. I mean, it just, it was mind numbing. Like, it was a good thing it was dark because if I had seen the track, like, I don't know that it would have been uh, as possible, but because it was pitch black and this was the night, I mean, it was the solstice, but like uh, Jupiter and Saturn were doing their thing and, you know, the stars looked beautiful. So it, there was, there was enough to distract myself with. But you're on a track. <laughs> you're very much on a track. For 14 hours. That's it. <laughs> Wow. So I'm, I'm excited to go do Ironman because that's going to be way easier. <laughs> like my entire perception of how far I could run has just been like completely recalibrated. So if you told me like 26 mile training run tomorrow, like, all right, cool, let's go. Wow. And so were you able to like, do you have any issues during it? Like it real, like you said, it was just mental, like physically you were able to hold up the whole time. Yeah, I, I learned pretty quickly that your body can only really focus on one area of pain at a time. So it was really just a game of my body, like sending out pain signals in different parts of my body and you know, me finding a way to like detach from that pain and then like, new pain would show up or uh, like mile 40, I, I decided to switch shoes and switch to um, a pair of shoes that were like way cushier, but had a super narrow toe box. And when I did that within like two laps, I developed massive blisters on both my toes. So like both my big toes. So it went from, you know, my knee hurting or the outside of my shin hurting to all of a sudden like five alarm fire on both of my toes. And that was all my body could focus on for like an hour. But then that went away and it shifts to a different part. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a very bizarre evening. I guess so. That is wild. Um, very good. Well, kudos to you. Yeah. When you, uh, sent me that, uh, yeah, I didn't really have any idea that, uh, that Eric was doing that. And he sent me a screenshot of his Strava activity there. And I was just like, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> that yep. is something. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned you own a float studio and that's actually how we connected. So uh, I believe you saw the slow twitch article on me and saw that I had referenced floating in there and uh, you're a big float fan, huh? It is the single greatest life hack and has been the like hands down most transformational thing I've ever discovered in my entire life. I'd say that's pretty compelling or uh, you're on board with it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's great. And so had you uh, floated a lot before opening up your studio? Yeah, so my first float was pretty much five years ago to the day, kind of in the middle of that uh, fully nomadic portion of my life. And that whole period of my, my life, I would define as like peak YOLO, for, for lack of a better phrase. Like I was so dissatisfied with my life working corporate. I used to work at uh, Salesforce and just like hated my life so much that I knew I needed to find something out in the world that would like give me purpose or meaning. So that was just like the quest to keep adding things until I found something that felt like it was right. So, you know, doing Ironmans in foreign countries or going to music festivals or, you know, going to Sydney for the weekend. Like it was really just a, a terrible exercise in the hedonic treadmill. And then I got into a float tank for the first time and, you know, just the nothingness was so surreal and, you know, that was when it kind of clicked that the answer is not to keep adding things, it's to actually subtract. And from that place of nothingness and from that place of stillness, you can really create some epic things. Totally. And yeah, I apologize. We should probably take a step back just real quick. Maybe uh, I'd love to hear your description of what floating is. Yeah. So floating or float therapy, uh, sensory deprivation, as it's horrifically called by a lot of people. I prefer sensory enhancement because that just sounds so much more pleasant. But essentially, it's a uh, total reduction in external stimuli. So uh, a modern day float tank or float cabin, as we like to call them at the Ocean Lab, um, it's a fiberglass shell. So like a complete room or pod that you get into. And that fiberglass shell is filled with about a foot of super salty salt water. So in our cabins at the lab, we have 1400 pounds of Epsom salt in about 14 inches of water. Um, that creates a, like a, a, a fluid or a solution that's so buoyant that it's impossible to not float. And to give you an idea, uh, the specific gravity of a float tank, which is the measure of how buoyant the water is, is about 1.26 to 1.28. The Dead Sea is like 1.16 and your typical ocean is 1.03. So uh, the water in a float tank is literally 10 times more buoyant than the ocean or twice as buoyant as the Dead Sea. So you're in this environment that's totally weightless. And uh, from that place, you can then you know, turn off the light and you're completely in the dark. Um, and because the water and the air are kept at the same temperature as your skin, after about five minutes, you forget that you have a body. So in our hyper-stimulated, hyper-connected world, where most people can't even go to the bathroom without having their cell phone in their hand, uh, it is just like the complete antidote to our modern lifestyle. Because for the first time in your life, there's no new information coming in. So you can really relax and process and uh, have some 
pretty incredible breakthroughs once you once you learn to get comfortable with just being there with yourself. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We won't spend too much time specifically on floating, but, uh, you know, I'm a, a huge fan, obviously, and we have a couple of float uh, cabins, we like to call them as well, at, uh, at Peak Recovery and Health Center. But, um, you know, it was something when I was actually forming the center, um, you know, I was familiar with floating. I had done it a few times and I liked it, but, you know, it was more focused on the cryotherapy and some of the other light therapy and things that we offer. And float was kind of something I was like, yeah, you know, we should probably have that here. And as time has evolved and I got to spend more time at the center, you know, it has hands down become my favorite modality. And, you know, what Eric's mentioning there about just being able to decompress and allowing our minds to just shut off. And especially when you live a very active and busy lifestyle, like I'm sure most of us listening do, you know, we need to take time to ourselves and allow our bodies to just decompress and, and get a little bit of relaxation. So uh, there's really no other, no better place than a float uh, to be able to, to help with that in, in my mind here. Well, and so much of triathlon, especially as you get into the longer distances, is having, you know, the mental fortitude and the mental discipline to, you know, be able to shut off those pain signals or override those, those stop signals that are coming. And I've found that since I started floating, like I used to be such a huge like slave to my power meter where it was like, all right, I have to be holding 220 watts this whole time. And I'm going to stare at my computer. And if it's not that number, then I'm going to be upset. But now it's almost like the exact opposite. I'm like so far removed from the numbers and I'm just like detached from my body that it's like, I'm just sort of flowing through the race instead of, uh, you know, being myopically focused on a number. That's a good, uh, good transition here. So, um, transition. That- <laughs> 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 um, so now that you kind of are in that mindset, do you still have a power meter and track your power at all? And like, what about during racing or like when it comes to running and things? Uh, during training, I absolutely uh, look at the numbers. I've gotten really into trainer road in the last six months. I just, I really love what those guys are doing and, and think it's, absolutely the most efficient way to make gains on the bike. Um, when I'm out running, usually more of a, of a heart rate if I do look at my watch, but that's more so just to check in. I, I really go by uh, RPE generally and just see how I'm feeling. I've, the biggest shift I've made in the last couple of years is, is moving to a, you know, a low carb, high fat kind of approach. So as part of that, I've just learned to get really in touch with with my body and uh, really sensing when I'm going a little too hard. Cause when you're, you know, running on endogenous stores, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty apparent when you're going too hard cause your body will very quickly start sending those bonk signals out. Um, but yeah, as, as a whole, I would say I'm much less of a, of a numbers guy than I used to be. Uh, they're still incredibly valuable, especially on the bike. Totally. Yeah. And so, um, when you're, that's, that's interesting to, you know, talk about the, the high fat diet. And, uh, so how long you been doing that? Would you say? So I made that shift early 2018. Okay. So it's yeah. a few years now. Yeah. I guess, no, that would have been early 20, late 2018, early 2019. Okay. I, uh, there's, there's quite a keto crowd here in Austin, the guys that run perfect keto are two of my good friends. So 
you start hanging out with them enough times and you start to ask questions and start doing your own research. Um, and then you see guys like, you know, Zach Bitters and what really uh, plowed the window of, oh my gosh, this might actually be possible open for me was when uh, Dr. Dan Plews won the age group race at Kona and did it low carb. That was, you know, all the, all the validation I needed that this was something worth looking into and worth pursuing. And obviously everybody's body is totally different. Everybody metabolizes fat completely differently, but uh, it has been a total game changer for me. Interesting. So, and in what way, what, what benefits and kind of changes have you seen? The main thing is not needing as many calories. Like for example, that, that hundred K I ran, I only took in 1200 calories over the course of the entire evening. 14 hours, so less than a hundred calories an hour. Yeah. So, you know, according to my Garmin, I burned 6,400 calories, I believe. And, you know, my, my first Ironman way back in 2009, I did the, I tried to do the entire thing on yellow Gatorade and vanilla goose. So over the course of, I think it was 12 hours, that was all I had. And the gut rot and GI distress and just absolute misery I was in at the end of that race was unlike anything I would ever wish on anybody. And that's so much, it's pretty much been the bane of all of my endurance sports careers. I could never get the nutrition right. I would always have stomach cramps or just feel like I ran out of fuel towards the end of the race. And now that my body can more effectively tap into its own fat stores, I can go forever, which, you know, you throw in a little bit of carbs on race day, it's like rocket fuel and uh, yeah, less calories, no GI distress. And when you're uh, metabolizing fat instead of carbs, you're putting out 30% less carbon dioxide as well. So that's a fun little, little performance hack. That's compelling for sure. And, and so, um, have you, I guess with the pandemic though, maybe have you actually raced an Ironman since making this transition? I have not. I did, uh, a half Ironman. I did Waco. I guess that would have been late 2019 at this point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, similar, similar story. I only needed, I think like 800 calories over the, the course of the race, which was, uh, way less than normal. And I also ran the Austin marathon back in February of last year and shaved a half hour off of my PR. And I only had a hundred calories, the, the whole race. So, wow. Yeah. So what did you end up running at, uh, in the marathon? Well, that was a three Oh three. So cool. nothing, nothing earth shattering, nothing by your standards, but, uh, <laughs> was pretty, was pretty good for me. That's a great run. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. And, and so when you're, um, when you're training, are you avoiding like a lot of super high intensity stuff to be able to, to stay in, you know, your, your keto state? Uh, it depends on the training block really. Um, I mean, anything high intensity, you obviously want to have carbs, but your, your long steady state sort of stuff. I really try to keep it aerobic and on those rides and runs. Um, yeah, I'm not taking in any calories, really just trying to, uh, further develop that fat oxidation pathway. And so that's literally long run or let's go long rides here. Just purely like assuming you're taking in some fluids, at least just like straight water or what are you doing? 
Yeah. Uh, longer rides. I'm definitely taking in some electrolytes with some water and I'll bring like uh, nut butter or perfect keto makes these absolutely delicious keto bars that uh, really just satisfy that like sweet tooth kind of craving, but it's only two or three grams of net carbs. Wow. That's cool. Okay. And, um, yeah, just trying to, to wrap my heart out. So I'm, I'm certainly, uh, familiar with the, the keto trend here and things like that. And I've, I've played around with a little bit, but I, I guess uh, to be fair, I don't feel like I've ever fully dove into it to give it a try. I just, I feel, feel that, you know, I, I operate at kind of a, a higher heart rate and, uh, am kind of above that state a lot of time when I'm racing. Um, so I haven't, uh, I don't know, giving it a fair shake, I would say, but it's certainly intriguing to say the least. Yeah. I mean, it sounds absolutely insane until you like commit to it for a year or, or two in some cases from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, and obviously you're going plenty fast and you know, your Ironman PR is an hour faster than mine. So I'm certainly not going to sit here and, uh, you know, say my way is the best way by any means, but it's been a really fun experiment and uh you know after so many years of just being frustrated with um running out of fuel or having that gi distress it has been uh a godsend for me really yeah totally no i again i'm i'm very intrigued by it and you know i'm certainly of the the belief that there is no one answer for everybody right you know there's everybody's body's different and we need to respect that and you know try different things and so forth um, how about uh, you seem, uh, we haven't met in person. You look like you're, uh, you're pretty lean has, how's your body comp changed since you switched over? Well, I pretty much used all of last year without the races happening to actually do some, some proper strength training for the first time in my life. Oh, cool. So I packed on 14 pounds of muscle last year, which, you know, now for the first time in my life at the ripe age of 30, I don't have the upper body of a 12 year old girl. So <laughs> that's been great. Um, and I've noticed with being generally more low carb that I am way leaner in general and I'm just, I'm able to pack on uh, muscle more easily as well when I do uh, some like more high intensity days and mix those carbs in. That's cool. Good for you. So how often uh, have you been strength training? So there is this machine called ARX, Adaptive Resistance Exercise, uh, based here in Austin. And it's essentially this robotic weightlifting machine that constantly pushes or pulls back at you 1% harder than you're pushing or pulling against it. So every moment of every rep, you are maxing your effort out. So I just do that once a week. Uh, you know, it takes like 30 or 45 minutes. And, uh, for two or three days after that, your muscles just don't really work because they've been so maxed out. So it's the, uh, most efficient way to, to pack on muscle I have ever found. And I'm a huge fan of it. Wow. What's something like that cost per session? Um, typically it's in the neighborhood of like 40 to $50 a session. The okay. machine itself is like $40,000, but yeah. Uh, my, my buddy is the head of product development, so he just lets oh, cool. us use it, uh, every Sunday, which That's is nice. Cool. Nice. So would you, you know, now that you're kind of starting, uh, I think for you, just really getting back going after that super long run and letting your body recover a bit, but, uh, are you planning to continue with that even during your Ironman prep? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the ability to do it once a week is killer and you can also, uh, you know, only max out the negative portion of the rep just as an example. So, you know, we, we tend to, as triathletes to do a lot of pushing with, you know, running and, and cycling, um, and being able to really only hit the negative portion of the lift is a huge, huge hack with uh, that method of strength training. So basically instead of, you know, pushing on the plate, doing a leg press, you're only resisting this, this like trash compactor basically coming at you. So it's like, I don't know, hitting a different part of the muscle and, and just making a much more dense muscle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just bringing up the site. I think I've seen some things. I don't know if it's this one specifically or something similar. So do you, everything you do on it is like a slow movement? Yeah, I do uh, generally 10 seconds on the, the negative and seven seconds on the positive. So, I mean, time under tension is, is pretty much the, the end all be all when it comes to strength training and you're able to quantify that. And it's almost like playing a video game, except instead of leveling up, you know, an avatar or a, a character, it's yourself because they, <laughs> they stick this giant screen right in front of your face and you can see exactly what your effort was the week prior. So you know, you do everything you can to beat that black line from last week. Right. (laughs) And and like, you know, you're capable of doing it because you know, you did it last week. So it's just this like ever evolving game of, of beat past you. Yeah. Colin, this looks like something you'd get in your house or (laughs) your studio Uh, coming to a wellness center near you. (laughs) Got to get out of this, uh, this, economic funk here uh to be considering that but uh definitely looks pretty neat yeah and so eric outside of uh of that that's like are you doing any other kind of strength training or that that no that's that's literally it yeah um i've i've always had such a reluctance to go to the gym because i just never felt like i knew what i was doing i never really knew how much weight to put on the bar um, I messed around with CrossFit a bit towards the end of college, and uh, I noticed that definitely helped me on the bike, but was never able to, to find something that worked for me consistently where I felt like I was really, truly seeing progress. And I mean, just I know that I can show up once a week, type in my, my workout. It's the same every week, and I'm, I'm making improvements everywhere. So it's working really well for me, and I'm excited to see uh, how that meshes with, you know, high volume Ironman training. Absolutely. Yeah. You're gonna have to keep us posted on that. That's definitely uh, pretty intriguing here. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I, I'm just really trying to, you know, push boundaries and in, in as many directions as possible. And, you know, N equals one kind of experiments are, are a lot of fun. So, you know, it might work, it might fail epically, but you know, this is age grouper for life, not pro triathlete for life. So, uh, if I can find a way to, you know, shave a few hours off of my weekly commitments for the same result or better results, then that's a huge win. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Well said there. That's great. I've been asking most of the questions. Ellie, you got any questions here? Mm, I I was wondering about, so I, I know when you opened your studio, Colin, that, I mean, you're pretty much the only float cryotherapy place in your town right correct oh yeah yeah i mean yeah, is there a lot of competition over there with uh, other float studios in 
in Texas, Eric, because I moved from Arizona and it was about the time when it was, I mean, it seemed like it just exploded and there were like tons of float studios all around the Valley and, and all that. But over in Washington, I know we have a few spread out, but there really isn't that many near me. So just wondering like how, how is the competition over there as far as other float studios? Yeah, I think competition probably isn't the right word. I mean, you, you take a city like Austin with, you know, there's 2 million people in the metro area and there's mm-hmm. only, uh, you know, one other float spot in Austin proper and then two, two a little farther up north. So you're talking, you know, a total of 14 float devices for 2 million people. Like we are still so early to the game that it's really almost like an industry-wide uh, collaborative effort to get mm-hmm. people to you know, get off their phones and get into, into floating. Um, there's a, a Facebook group called the float collective, for example, where, you know, all the float center owners just kind of hang out and, and share ideas and collaborate. And it's been really hard to see the, the effects of all these COVID lockdowns because, you know, Seattle, Portland, SF, LA, San Diego, Denver are, are sort of like the, you know, there's more float spas in those areas than anywhere except for Phoenix, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they've all had to just, you know, endure these crazy extended lockdowns. And uh, I mean, the the used float tank market is unfortunately uh, filled with with floats right now, which you hate to see. So um, all that being said, uh, competition is is not really a factor because we we all have such different approaches to it. Um, you know, some, some centers are really focused on, you know, trying to get people to, you know, relieve back pain, lower blood pressure. I would say that is uh, true rest, which is the big national, uh, franchise who's based in Phoenix, which is why you see yeah. so many pop up around Phoenix. Like that's really their MO is, is just, you know, show up, uh, once or twice a month and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make your back pain go away. Um, the other spot here in, in Austin and us are much more focused on like a more holistic balanced approach to life where you're really, you know, coming to float as an enhancement with other modalities you're already pursuing and uh, you know, really trying to take a more, a big picture, like consciousness exploration kind of approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you, as you find a float spot in your town, you will find that everyone has a very unique uh, approach to it. I mean, do you have a target audience or what kind of, like, what kind of demographics do you generally get over there? Yeah. So uh, our like flagship membership at the lab is, is our unlimited membership, which is about $300 a month. And uh, of the 20 or so of those members we have, uh, 18 of them are, uh, you know, in their thirties, entrepreneurs, like really just these like high performance Uh, business people looking for that edge and you know every good business idea i've ever had has come from floating so uh that's that's who we have as like our our most regular customers and then you know the more casual like one or two a month austin is a is a pretty progressive forward-thinking city so we do get some uh you know a little more woo-woo uh (laughs) type folks coming in (laughs) Um, word that yeah (laughs) yeah you know uh 
you know, there's that saying, you know, kids say the darndest things. I would, I would argue that people after their first float say the darndest things. <laughs> I mean, you, you get a spectrum of perspectives that I didn't even know existed. Like, you know, the, you know, Oh, I, I, I traveled to the 12th dimension and I, I turned into a dolphin and I was swimming inside <laughs> of my mother dolphin. And that like, Oh, that's amazing. Tell me more. How'd that make you feel? Right. Like that's, <laughs> That's one end. And then the other end is like, oh, bro, just had a great nap, feeling great. See you tomorrow. Right. Like, and, and everywhere in between. And it's been just so good for, for me and like my, my mental well being just to see how many different perspectives there are in the world. And I think a lot of times we get siloed into like thinking that our little microcosm or our little, our little life is the way that everybody lives, but yeah. that's not the case at all. Uh, yeah. And that's been especially apparent over the course of all this COVID mania, um, just how many different ways people are approaching it. And yeah, perception is reality. That's, uh, that's all I'll say. That's <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to say just to add to that. I mean, my, still my favorite thing at this, at the wellness center is to see people coming out. And, and a lot of times you can literally just see, the decompression and the, the reduction of stress and just their their whole attitude is completely changing after you know an hour or less uh and uh it's it's really powerful and just uh that's what keeps me motivated every day to the cabin people you know really experience that absolutely i mean i think a lot of times people get stuck in like really negative thought loops or negative patterns of thinking and <clears throat> you know whether that's more broadly like oh my gosh, I've been depressed and anxious for 15 years. And this is the first time I feel like in my entire life, I've been able to take a deep breath, right? Like that is like the most powerful thing that you can hear as a business owner. And on, you know, on a much smaller scale, like I find when I'm, when I'm racing and those negative thoughts start to creep in, like I can just pause, take a deep breath and like interrupt the thought pattern and switch to something more positive uh, which is the absolute like biggest mental hack ever when you're, you know, deep in the hurt locker. Totally. Yeah. That's cool. And so switching back to talking, you said, you know, you had the, uh, swim in the run background, but, uh, you got into the cycling. So were you actually, uh, racing and cycling or just, just doing a lot of riding? Yeah. So there's this bike race at Indiana university where I went to college called the little 500. It's basically NASCAR on bikes. There's 33 teams of four racing around a quarter mile cinder track. Uh, and everybody is on 46 by 18 single speed bikes with coaster brakes. Oh, there's a so, movie about that, isn't it? Oh yeah. Breaking, a, breaking Break away. away. That's yeah. one of my favorites. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, that was, uh, that was my life in college, uh, was trying to win that race. And, uh, my last year of college, my fraternity brothers and I won the race. So that nice. was, um, you know, pretty much what I devoted my college career to. And as part of that, uh, that race was always at the end of the school year, but all summer, uh, I would, you know, hit the domestic crit scene, um, got all the way up to a cat two in that world and, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a total bike nerd for, for about four or five years there before getting back into getting back into triathlon. So did you develop an Italian accent as well? 
<laughs> I did not develop an Italian accent, as cool as that would have been. Uh, I did study abroad in Italy, which I'm, I'm not going to pretend was not influenced by the uh, Italian team from that movie, for those of you who are not familiar with the movie. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, I couldn't help myself to throw that. <laughs> did you shave your legs during that time? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. I, I, I haven't had leg hair in like 12 years. <laughs> uh, very cool. So what else uh, you got on the docket? I mean, uh, Coeur d'Alene, I'm sure, is your top priority. What what else are you open for in uh, 2021? Yeah, so my girlfriend, sort of out of left field, decided she wanted to race a half Ironman this year. So she's got some girls going down to do Gulf Coast 70.3 in May. So I'm looking at joining them for that. Um, quite a few of them are first timers. So really going to you know just help shepherd that whole whole process. And it's six weeks out from quarter lane, which is about the cadence I like to have with my uh, halves before fulls. And then perfectly six weeks before that is uh, Texas 70.3 down in Galveston, which is always like just a perfect, you know, first race of the season, pancake flat, easy three hour drive from Austin. So that's what I have lined up so far. Um, but you know, everything's kind of in a, a wait and see sort of approach. No doubt. Cool. Yeah. And so what are, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, the likelihood of all those races happening? You know, perception is reality and, and I am the delusional optimist. So I, I firmly believe that, uh, you know, power of positive thinking, the more we all collectively focus that the races are going to happen, the more likely it is that they will. And, uh, I'm not going to, lie and say I did not pick races in, you know, deep red states where the odds are a little higher that they're going to happen. Um, so yeah, Texas and Florida and rural Idaho should be pretty safe, but, uh, I suppose we will see. Yeah, totally understandable. Um, with you. And yeah, I was, I was actually on a webinar or, uh, a live, I guess, um, meeting with Andrew uh, Messick from Ironman. A, he uh, kind of gave, it was actually, I, I cut off, I think it was a little over an hour, but just kind of talked about the state of Ironman and uh, what their plans are. And kind of some of the takeaways I took it took from it were, you know, where what, what he said is that, you know, they really are going to do everything in their power to make every one of the planned races, you know, happen this year. Which, I mean, I guess that may sound obvious, but it, there seemed to be some sincerity into that. And, you know, the the discussion of a vaccine and whether that was going to be required or if you had to prove the antibodies, um, you know, you did not say that there would be a requirement for that. But I guess they're looking into that, which I felt was was a bit interesting. Woof. Yeah. Um, but uh, it'd be a great know. black market for those. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but you know, what they did say, or he said was that they look at every individual race, you know, separately. And they actually, he also mentioned that they may be bringing on some additional races that aren't even on the calendar yet, since, especially in the West here, we've already got all our Ironman sold out and, you know, they're seeing, you know, the ability ultimately from them, from a marketing perspective, they still have some opportunity to maybe get some more people, um, it wouldn't, you know, it doesn't sound like it'd be a surprise if we saw a couple new races, um, Amazing. you know, pop up towards the end of the year. I think they'll definitely be, 
you know, probably I'm guessing August or, or later. So that it gives more time for vaccinations and, you know, the, the, the world to, or at least the U S to, to get closer to our new normal here. But, uh, I thought that stuff was pretty encouraging. Yeah, that's, that's super good Intel. Thank you for sharing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I just, I really would just love if everyone would zoom out a little bit, like our sport literally cannot survive another, another year without races. I mean, the, the race directors and all the local ecosystems that support our, our beautiful sport just got absolutely rocked last year. And if we can't, you know, get something going this year, I'm, I'm just really scared about the future of this sport that we love so much. And, you know, there, there's just so many second and third order effects that it seems like we haven't really even fully recognized yet. So yeah, I agree I'm, because uh, I mean, they, I mean, according to what Andrew Messick said, I mean, they really didn't let anyone go. And I mean, they didn't No, he did yeah. confirm that they kept everybody on, you know, and uh, they didn't furlough anybody, which I guess a couple of the larger race organizations did do, you know, so yeah, you're right, Elliot. Uh, it's amazing. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I hope, I, I really hope something good happens this year because I think you're right, Eric. I think they'd be, I think a lot of people are going to be in trouble if we have to go through another year, like 2020. Yeah. I mean, cause especially if we talk about the, the race directors and even Ironman, right. You know, they, for the most part, shouldn't have taken a ton of a hit. I guess it depends on what they handled for their, refund policy but most of them <laughs> deferred everything right well hear me out here right yeah i uh, mean i guess i guess they really didn't take a huge no, well, yesterday so, because they kept uh, everything but they kept everything but, but then this year is going to be year, right yeah. they, they crushed this year because now they're not going to have new new incomes coming in things like that from uh because they've everybody had paid from last year yeah so it's a good I point this, this is the year that they really, really start to feel it. And if, you know, we have another year like last year, we're definitely going to be in trouble. Yeah. yeah and, and from what I understand, a lot of the reason that, that some races didn't happen uh, were just because they were worried about having, not having enough like healthy volunteers willing to, to, you know, work the aid stations and whatnot. And, you know, having been in the sport for a long time, like that is absolutely one of the, the best things you can do to give back is even if you aren't racing, like, you know, put your name on that list and, and rally a few, you know, other young, healthy, not at risk folks so that these races can go on and that our, our sport can keep going. Totally. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a good point and something we should be doing regardless, but uh, it, it's gotta be even more important this year. And uh, you know, I think that uh, hopefully we're going to get the opportunity to do that. I am optimistic, as always, <laughs> but <laughs> we will find out. That we shall. All right. Well, uh, Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate the insight. Definitely learned a few things and uh, interested to uh, to look at some of the stuff you're doing. That's uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, we'll definitely have to sync uh, you and Elliot uh, together here and uh, and see each other hopefully at Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can hold on to his legs for the swim. It'll be great. <laughs> that would probably be a smart move. You know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, hey, you have more I'll... swimming experience than me, Eric. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> uh.
man. Good chatting with y'all, gents. Yeah. Thank you very much again for coming on. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll catch, catch up with you next time. All right. Sounds great.